You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back with the Locked On Irish Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your daily source of audio content related to Notre Dame athletics. Today's episode, we are getting you prepared and ready for the ACC championship game, Notre Dame versus Clemson. We're already shifting our focus to what is now the most important game on Notre Dame's schedule. As we typically do, we're going to give an offensive preview, a defensive preview, and then at the end of the show, you'll get to hear how things turned out for Notre Dame's recent basketball contest against Duke. I'm going to provide a recap and share my thoughts on what worked well, maybe what didn't, and what happened throughout the game. Before we get into that, though, folks, I am Joe DeLeon, former college long snapper at the Division I level, joined by Ryan Roberts, who is the director of scouting at NFL Draft Bible. So let's get on into this, Ryan, discussing Clemson. And if you happen to recall, folks, the first week we were on the show, we did a preview of Clemson. So I want to shift our focus here a little bit, try not to hit on some of the same points and rediscuss certain topics. This is a different Clemson team than we saw early on in the season, very specifically because of the fact that DJ Uyunglele will not be the starting quarterback, the true freshman. Instead, it's much worse. It's Trevor Lawrence, the the man that is expected to be the savior for the New York Jets, the next great generational talent in the NFL, someone who has been talked about as an ungodly quarterback since he stepped on, on campus at Clemson and since he took over his freshman year midway through the year. We're going to see a very different game here, Ryan. This is going to be Understandably different because DJ Uyunglele and Trevor Lawrence are two different stylistic quarterbacks. And for very good reasoning, Lawrence is a lot more seasoned and a lot more talented right now as we speak. I mean, absolutely. It completely changes because what Notre Dame did the first time around is they said, we're going to play man-to-man across the board. We're going to try to bring a variety of pressures on DJ. DJ responded by finding those you know, those one-on-one matchups, I think of Cornell Powell deep against Tyreek Bracey. Cornell Powell had a great game overall. Uh, Amari Rogers, a couple, you know, quick flat routes where he made a guy miss, created a couple big chunk plays, played a ton of man coverage. I think what's going to change there is because the difficulty in playing a bunch of man coverage against quarterbacks is if a guy's athletic, your back is naturally turned. So if he is in a running threat that, gives him the opportunity to take advantage of his athleticism. Against DJ, not as big a deal, because even though he is a solid athlete, he is not the athlete that Trevor Lawrence is. So if we are turning our back consistently to Trevor Lawrence, it's going to be a longer day. He's a, he's a better athlete right now than DJ Uyunglele is. He's more of a threat to run. Playing man coverage probably isn't the smartest idea. So now the next question is, moving off of that, if we're going to play more zone, we're going to keep our eyes to the quarterback. How are we going to create this pressure? It really is going to bring a big emphasis on Notre Dame being able to win up front one-on-one matchups against Jackson Carmen and the crew up front. They have to be able to be 
very disruptive if we're going to play zone covers because we're not going to be able to bring a bunch of different blitz looks if we're not going to be able to play too much man-to-man. So I think we're going to see a lot more zone coverage this week against Trevor Lawrence to to um, to eliminate his running threats. But now the question and the, and the emphasis on the team is how dominant can the defensive line be against what is a pretty average middling group for Clemson outside of Jackson Carmen at left tackle. That's a really interesting thought that you bring up here, Ryan. You can't really use the same defensive strategy that you did against DJ Uyunglele. You were begging him to win in these one-on-one situations, and he was able to do that a lot. He had a really good game for a reason. The other part of that was doing whatever you could to shut down Travis Etienne, and we've seen consistency so far this year of facing prolific offenses and already in the first time that they played Clemson shutting down the run game then forcing whoever is playing quarterback to play hero ball and I think that this is going to be a similar trend I don't think they're going to sway too far off of it Clemson's going to be desperate to get that ball moving on the ground if you take one side of a team's offense out of the game which again seems to be the focus for Clark Lee defensively on a weekly basis if you take out one portion and force a team to overcompensate with the other you don't necessarily need to force Trevor Lawrence and and limit him to 250 yards passing I think that that's unrealistic but if he goes for 350 maybe gets close to 400 like DJ Uyunglele. When you're throwing in that high of a volume, it increases the opportunity for takeaways, um, for more sacks. That's where things need to come down to. Maybe early on you see some early established success from the Clemson offense, but like we saw in the first time they played, things started to break down with their offensive line, and that was when they were able to hit home and get those sacks. It was at the a little bit of the wrong timing because it came in overtime, but you need that stuff to come and hit midway through the third quarter, fourth quarter, right when this game is going to be coming down to the wire. Well, I, I think you know, I, I think from a schematic perspective, things have to change a little bit facing a Trevor Lawrence. But I think what's going to stay the same here in this game is Notre Dame is going to have a huge emphasis on stopping the run game. Now, the run game is going to be a little different this time because we saw a lot of inside zone with you know with uh, Travis Etienne and Lynn J. Dixon last game. We're still going to see a heavy dose of Travis Etienne, even though he only rushed for 28 yards on 18 carries in the first game. But the difference is now is with Trevor Lawrence being a bigger run threat, we are going to have to shut down the 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 read off of the zone. So a lot, a little more of option football. So I think that the emphasis for Notre Dame is still going to be, hey, you're not going to be able to run the football on us because if you get that run game going, makes the passing game easier then we're in a lot of trouble. And we saw that Notre Dame had that point of emphasis the first time around, and we and we won the football game. You know, we kept the game close all game. It was back and forth a little bit in the second half. And then Notre Dame was able to come out 47-40 with the victory. So I think there, there's going to be a similar strategy of, hey, we understand what Trevor Lawrence is. We understand how great of a passer he is. But we're going to make this team beat us in the passing game because they don't have the usual – first round, the second round caliber wide receivers that we've seen in the past, even over the last couple years with T. Higgins and Justin Ross being out. They have good wide receivers. Cornell Powell's having a really nice season. Amari Rogers is a senior bowler. He's a good player. But I would still, in my opinion, make those guys beat me. I'm not going to let Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne beat me on the ground. I am going to force them to throw the football and try to win, hoping 
that I can force Trevor Lawrence into maybe a bad decision or two so that, again, we are in this football game down the stretch and we have an opportunity to pull it out at the end. Again, that's the big key is getting to that point where you can force him to eventually make a mistake. You don't need him to do it early on, but increase the volume of those opportunities for takeaways, for sacks. And Lawrence is not going to be an easy guy to rally and bring down. But if you use a similar, I think, just general approach like we saw in that first game, you could have similar success. And I, I really would be shocked if Clark Lee comes out with a completely defensive, uh, different defensive approach because he's consistently done you know, a similar style of trying to shut down an opposing team's rushing game and then eventually working your way towards creating those pressures, um, getting in a quarterback's face, and then eventually leading to some serious mistakes that put your defense in an advantageous spot. We're going to talk about the defense coming up soon. Before we do so, folks, I want to talk to you about my favorite beer on the market, one that I'm going to be drinking this Saturday for the ACC championship game, that being Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all of the time. Work, friends, family, a million pressing issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's where you reach for the Coors Light. It's made to chill. I know that after a long week, I like to go and grab that beer and relax and hang out with my friends and watch whatever games are on. And I know I'm going to be doing that this weekend when I watch the ACC championship game, as I said. Watching football is therapeutic for fans, as I know it is for me, and it is uninterrupted me time, an excuse to chill and drink beer. With minimal college football teams playing this season, Coors Light wants you to know that there are still plenty of teams and sports out there that will allow them to relax and enjoy a beer. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or team just to drink beer. Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need to unwind, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on Friday, we're going to hear from Ellis Tolbert of Locked on Clemson, new host taking over for Brad Sinkiff. So we'll get to hear from him his takeover of the show and his perspective, new perspective coming from coming from Ellis. So stay tuned for that on Friday as that is going to be a fantastic interview, getting you as far possibly prepared for this ACC championship game. And speaking on being fully prepared, let's start talking about this Clemson defense. What are you paying attention to, Ryan? What are the things that you are going to be wary of for this game? Well, I, I think uh, one big aspect of the victory last, um, you know, a few weeks ago in their first matchup was Notre Dame really took advantage of the, un, you know, uncharacteristically average is how I guess I'll, I'll phrase it safety play for Clemson, and you know I know we highlighted like Nolan Turner before the game he didn't have a great game you know obviously starting off the game with that that stiff arm from Kyron Williams that went 75 yards to the end zone for for the uh for the first score of the game in the latter stages of the game and going into you know about to go into overtime they uh Avery Davis was able to sneak down the seam for a huge gain that took them down inside the 10 yard line the safety play was not great 
Uh, not great at all, and I, I think that I, I would be expecting that to kind of be a more of a point of emphasis. We can't allow easy; they can't allow easy throws to Ian Book. They have to be better in the run game. But I think the real big headline for this season is we have a couple people back in this game that we did not see the first time around: Tyler Davis, defensive tackle; James Skowski, uh, who is the linebacker number forty-seven, who's kind of the heart and pulse of that defense. But when we talked to Brad, Brad Sinkiff the first time. He was very adamant that, hey, Tyler, you know, Trevor Lawrence is the guy on offense. Tyler Davis is the guy on defense. So with those two guys out, there was a big loss. Mike Jones was out for that game as well. But for me, having those two guys back in that middle of that defense is going to be huge for Clemson. And the keys to victory, we have to dominate up front again. We dominated up front. We gave Ian Book plenty of time. We were able to run the football last last game. This game is going to be, I think, a little bit of a challenge with Skalski and Davis back. That is going to be the key decider how the interior of this offensive line for Notre Dame with, again, we talk about Zeke Corral has moved into center after missing this, this past start. He started a couple games ago after Josh Lug moving into right guard. We'll see if Tommy Kramer is back officially for this game. We have to see how they're able to hold up inside because that is going to be the big difference, I believe, in this football game, winning that line of scrimmage like we did last time. Yeah, that line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball have been so key, not only for every single game, but for specifically this last matchup against Clemson. You're bringing back those players, and if you recall all the way back to that original show, we talked about the impact of losing those guys and not having those guys on the field, and that arguably impacted them defensively. Now, one thing, and I'm trying to draw from what made Notre Dame's offense so successful in in the, in the first victory. They put up 47 points in that game. A lot of those points were scored in overtime, but still, that's a lot of offensive production. I think that what led to that victory was riding off of your strong offensive line, and I understand the offensive line is a little bit battered right now. Tommy Kramer is expected to be back. We're not entirely sure. Zeke Corral has been dealing with a little bit of an injury, but still, not the same usual center of Jarrett Patterson Regardless, you ran the football very, very well. We saw that immediately on the first play. Kyron Williams had a path opened up for him like it was Moses parting the Red Sea. There was so much room for him to work through, and a guy that talented is obviously going to fly through that hole. And now they're going to try and keep sending pressure like they did in the second half. They're going to realize, hey, that worked in the second half. That slowed them down a little bit. We're going to start sending some pressure. But I think if you run the ball, it can alleviate some of that stuff as well as well as continuing to use Kyron Williams as the fantastic blitz pickup player that he is in any of those those heavy pressure situations. Well, and I think that running the football is is so important also is because, hey, Ben Skoranek and Javon McKinley have had a great you know resurgence this year after a slow start, and they have proved a lot of people wrong, you know, the ability to win one-on-one matchups and do different things. But no matter how well they're playing, Andrew Booth and Darian Kendrick still have the advantage there because they are both incredibly athletic at cornerback. We don't want to get into situations where it is very predictable. We know it's going to be a pass, and we have to win one-on-one matchups outside. The ability to run the football is going to keep Clemson guessing, keep them off balance. That's why it's so important. We can't get into just a situation where, hey, our athletes have to be better than your athletes because if that's how we're playing against Clemson – we're not going to be successful because we know they can out-athlete us. The reason we won the first game was because we didn't make a ton of mistakes. 
and our offensive and defensive lines won that game for us. That was the difference, and that's how Notre Dame has to win because we don't have the guys outside on either side of the football, on offense or defense, cornerback, wide receiver, anything. We need to have those guys be advantageous in taking advantage of some opportunities off of play action, off of you know some, some loaded boxes, some one-on-one matchups, but we can't depend on that on a snap-to-snap basis that we're going to be able to beat Andrew Booth and Darian Kendrick one-on-one. So this game is going to be at 4 o'clock Eastern time on ABC. This is a neutral site game, but it is actually being played in North Carolina, although that, that fake home field advantage doesn't really apply like it typically would. More often than not, that would actually help a team like Clemson who is not having to travel far for a championship game. But in this case, the, the stands should likely be pretty empty. I don't even know if there are going to be fans or not. I haven't even checked on that. But regardless, neutral site game, 4 o'clock on ABC. We need to wrap up this score per, or this prediction this this preview, if you will, with our typical score predictions. Ryan, I can see the, the gears turning in your head. I can see the math being done, the equations being put together. What what do you got for us? What wild score are you giving us this week? 34-27 Irish. Okay, that's a little bit bit more a uh, bit more down to earth than I thought you were going to be. I thought you were going to give Notre Dame a 25 point victory like you typically do. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah typically. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Fighting Irish. I'm not going to pick against them. I'm not going to be crazy here. I'm going to go Notre Dame 33 Clemson 30. This is going to be very very close. I think that it's going to be a little bit closer than a touchdown, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that, Ryan. I think we want a good football game. We want a tight, hard-fought football game. I think that if you beat them handedly, something's wrong. Well, I, I, Joe, I, I think you know if, if we've proven anything over our how many ever weeks we've been doing this, it's that I'm the clear and cut the better Notre Dame fan. The more oh, I, you know, the- stop it! Stop! <laughs> stop! On that note, in a few minutes, we are going to hear from me sharing the recap of the Duke basketball game. if you're not doing so already please make sure you go and hit that subscribe button also if you're looking for something new to listen to betting on notre dame doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to new locked on bets podcast posted by your boy q and handicapping expert lee sterling get your daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers Subscribe to Locked On Bets podcast, brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts. So getting to you now on this Duke loss, 75-65, to a game where Duke held a pretty strong lead, a bit similar to the Michigan State game, where they were pushing 20 points, hovering around that, and then towards the end in garbage time, Notre Dame climbs back, and it really doesn't have much of an impact. This was an inconsistent game for Notre Dame and a couple of the key stats just that stick out to me. 53% from three point for Duke was the the real defining factor in this game. They also shot 51% from the field. They also out-rebounded Notre Dame 33-23. Top performer for Notre Dame though, that has to be 
Dane Goodwin had a career day, 25 points. He also finished with two assists and one rebound. Nate Lashevsky also eight rebounds. And then Prentice Hub had an okay day, 12 points. This game, though, you you really could tell that this Duke program and this team for them in 2020 is just far more talented than what Notre Dame has to put out there on the court. That 53% number that you see, it's not like all those shots were straight wide open three-pointers. They were making a lot of difficult shots. They were hot the whole night, and they hit a very consistent scoring rhythm for literally all 40 minutes. You really don't see that a lot. That was just a really good offensive output by a a strong Duke team. That 2-2 record is not a, a clear indication of how good they can be offensively. There's not a lot you can really do in a situation like that. And, and one thing that we saw in this game, too, is Notre Dame would start going on these scoring streaks. They would start to put these, these scoring runs together. But it didn't matter because Duke was still scoring in counter moves to them. So that, that played a really big part in this, just not being able to outduel and slow down a team that was hot for the entirety. Speaking of just some other takeaways that I... I got from this game, it was good to see that they were getting some more bench players into the game. Mike Bray made more of an emphasis on doing that. Also, the new NCAA eligibility rules that came down today allowed Trey Wirtz to be eligible for this game. And I don't know the full extent of this rule change just because we've been caught up with the college football stuff. But Trey Wirtz, this is really an effort to get guys being able to play if you deal with any COVID outbreaks, not having to deal with any more issues of having to cancel games. So Trey Wirtz benefits from that. He comes off the bench. He scores a a decent nine points. Three of those points came at the end of the game from a a nice three-point shot that he took. Some other guys that ended up playing, though, some of the usual guys, Matt Zona, uh, Trey Sanders, it was odd because you see more players coming off the bench, something that – Ryan and I have harped on for so long that you're not getting those guys contributing more and playing more and resting the starters. And I think Bray tried to do that. But the issue, and it it makes things so much more complicated here, is that those bench players literally did not contribute. Trey Wirtz was the only guy who scored points off the bench. That's another thing. Separate from the three-point margin that Duke was able to hit, Like You're not going to be able to beat a team in that situation. You're also not going to be be able to beat a team if nobody on your bench scores. It kind of makes you understand why Mike Bray has been doing what he's done, but that does not mean what he's doing is sustainable. Something has to be figured out here. Those bench guys need to step up. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see more of the same issues, more of these weak performances where... They're just not strong defensively, and they're not consistent offensively. Last point I want to bring up before I wrap up today's show, rebounding, major issue in this one. As you heard me say earlier, out-rebounded by 10 rebounds for the whole game, and that was something that Ryan and I brought up coming into this game when we did the preview that Duke was a really good rebounding team and that Notre Dame needed to step up for that challenge and keep it close. Instead, the guy that who 
And I, I, I keep saying this. I hate having to give Jawan Durham a hard time. I don't like giving players a hard time. I'm not trying to be negative. But when your big man, your six foot eleven center, has one rebound in the game, in a game where he needs to step up, that is really not a good sign. Durham needs to contribute more, and we need better rebounding from this Notre Dame team overall. It's not good that Lashevsky, and I get it, Lashevsky is one of your tallest players at six foot ten, but he's not exactly a down low post player. For him to lead the team in rebounds with seven, I would argue, is not really the goal of what you want. You want Joan Durham to be the player that is the primary rebounder. Regardless, though, as a collective whole, rebounding was just not a strong suit in this game, and it seriously impacted them. So those are the two key things that we've talked about all season long that are going to be continual emphasis areas of emphasis for Notre Dame in the remainder of the season. They need to figure out their bench rotation. They need to get those guys contributing more. It's good that Trey Wirtz is here, and they also need to improve their rebounding. Something has to be done. Focus on that stuff in practice because 23 rebounds compared to 33 is not enough to win a basketball game. That's going to be it from us, folks. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Hopefully, we have some better news coming on Saturday for Notre Dame's uh, football matchup. And also, they're actually playing in basketball against Purdue. So next show, you'll actually get to hear uh, some conversations about Purdue and also a conversation, a crossover episode that we did with Ellis Tolbert. So stay tuned for that on Friday. Make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On Irish, at Jody Leone, and at Rise N Draft for Ryan. If you like the show so far, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, and let us know what you think. Finally, looking for something to tune into. I cannot endorse enough the brand new show, a part of the network, Locked On Bets. Go check that out. Make yourself some money. We'll talk to you on Friday, folks. <laughs>